Hey everybody, welcome to the ProGov Podcast, a monthly podcast exploring policies and tools for progressive local governance with leaders from policy research institutes around the U.S. The ProGov Podcast is brought to you by ProGov21.org, a free resource and public good for local legislators, policymakers, and advocates. ProGov21 is a fully searchable digital archive of thousands of progressive local and state policies and tools for their effective use. I'm your host, Ada Inman, and today we are joined by Stephen Higashide of Transit Center for an exciting discussion around transit equity. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. Stephen, as the Director of Research at Transit Center, you have ample experience in urban planning, transportation research, and policy. Can you please tell me a little bit about your career trajectory and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Well, I really started in the advocacy world right out of college. I started working for a group called the Tri-State Transportation Campaign that works in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, advocating for sustainable transportation. And, you know, I really bounced around within that organization. I, I worked on communications. I did uh, state house lobbying in Connecticut. I helped coordinate Tri-State's work as part of a national coalition, the Transportation for America campaign, doing things like defeating congressional attempts to cut all federal transit funding. So that was just an incredible education in seeing how change happens and, you know, getting to do it in, in a bunch of different ways. And then in 2013, I heard about this new organization, Transit Center, which was really this kind of startup foundation. At the time, it wasn't really clear to me. And I think it actually wasn't too clear to folks at Transit Center what the organization would even be doing. But why I made the move and the, the hope that I had there it all came out of this recognition that there are so many people doing great work to make transportation more sustainable around the country, to try to improve public transit, but that especially in the transit world, it can feel really lonely. It can really feel like, or at least at the time, it could feel like there really wasn't a national movement that you know, folks who were working in New Orleans really didn't have much of an opportunity to meet or learn from what people might be doing in Denver or Austin or New Jersey or San Francisco. And I really hope that Transit Center could become a place that supported these local organizations that could help build some of those connections. And it's been really gratifying to actually see that become the case. You know, at Transit Center, we not only provide grants to local organizations, but we also do a lot of community building and network building. And even though, you know, my role as director of research, you know, I am always thinking about how someone locally could use that as a tool for what they're trying to do in their own community. And so I'll also just say, you know, sort of along the way, a lot of what I learned as a researcher, I got to be able to put into a book, Better Buses, Better Cities, which came out in, in 2019. And so now I feel, you know, very sort of lucky to be able to have had this experience as as an author, a researcher, an advocate, trying to find all sorts of different ways to advance better transit. Are there any new or upcoming reports that listeners should keep an eye out for from Transit Center? Sure. There are a couple of recent ones, neither of which I had anything to do with, but it's great work that others at Transit Center have uh, been working on. One was a report that we released with the Alliance for a Just Society and the Labor Network for Sustainability. It's called Invest in Transit Equity, Invest in Transit Workers. And it's really detailing this 
crisis that we're seeing across the country, this transit operator shortage, where, you know, just like in many other industries, transit operators are retiring, transit agencies are having a huge number of difficulties trying to hire operators, that is really having an impact on transit riders. And the report finds that transit and ground transportation employment is only at 84% of pre-pandemic levels. And so on the one hand, there, there are short-term things that agencies can try to do. Fundamentally, though, I think what's so important about this report is it really points out that we have to do a lot to make sure that transit jobs are good jobs. So many of these jobs were really difficult before the pandemic. And now, you know, we're just asking so much from these essential workers and the the, the compensation, sometimes the culture within transit agencies, you know, it just doesn't recognize how important they are. So that's one. A second report I want to mention, well, you could call it a report, it's actually something kind of different, it's called Subtext. And what it really is, is it's like an old school zine. It was put together by participants in the Women Changing Transportation Cohort, which is a leadership program. It's run by, you know, a couple of wonderful colleagues of mine, Ashley Price and Stephanie Latshaw. It's a program that's all about sort of developing women leaders in transit. And so the zine subtext brings together reflections from those participants. And I just think it's a great way to, you know, hear from these leaders and really to be able to see more people's whole selves. Uh, so I really encourage folks to check it out. Great. We'll make sure to link those in the podcast description. As you know, we are featuring the Equity and Practice Guidebook for the featured report this month from Transit Center, and you worked on that. So can you please just give me a brief overview of this report and what it's about? Yeah, I'll try to give a brief overview. It's, it's very much not brief report. So, you know, the very high level summary, right, is it's a guidebook for public transportation practitioners and leaders. And it's really designed for people working in agencies that are committed to advancing racial and social equity. And it's designed to help answer some of the questions like, how do you get started? How do you lead internal change efforts? And how do you make sure that they stick? What are leaders leading transit agencies already doing? What's quantitative or what software tools might exist that would be helpful in the work? And even some lessons that, you know, as transit folks that we might be able to learn from other fields like, uh, like housing and water. I really have to credit this project's uh, advisory committee. We had uh, 15 amazing leaders from agencies, advocacy, academia, who were advising us on this project, and they really shaped it a whole lot. When we started this project, we thought that it was going to be, I think, a very metrics-focused project that we might recommend, you know, a lot of new equity measures that agencies should adopt. And in the course of working with this advisory committee, it was really impressed on us how much more equity is really about agency leadership, agency culture, agency structure. And so that's what this report really speaks to. And I should say also just enormous credit to our project manager on this, Mary Buchanan, and our partners at the Center for neighborhood technology in Chicago who helped us with the research. It's a really uh, an enormous team effort and we hope it helps agencies take equity from, from a promise into practice. So within the first few pages of the report, you take time to define equity. So my question for you is what's the importance of defining equity and why is equity so important to transit agencies? 
Well, if you say equity is core to your mission, you have to be able to articulate what it is, right? As an agency leader, you have to be clear that when you talk about equity, you're talking about benefiting and prioritizing marginalized people, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, people with disabilities, LGBTQ folks, poor people, and other people who are not front and center in policy typically. That's important for a lot of reasons. You know, in transportation, there are other uses of the term equity. For example, we often hear like a suburban county executive might talk about geographic equity. They might be saying, well, you know, the transit service is not geographically equitable because we don't get service that we think is commensurate with the taxes that we pay. And so you have to be really clear, that's not at all what we're talking about here. And in fact, that can be pretty a pretty counterproductive way to look at transit. And so agencies have to define what they mean by equity, and they should be able to name that equity in practice has multiple components. So for example, there is what we call distributional equity, who benefits and who is harmed by what the agency is providing, who is getting comfortable shelters and frequent service, and who is waiting an hour for the bus on the side of the road, who has to live next to the bus depots or the maintenance facilities, who is being well-served by the transit police and who is getting hurt. There's also procedural equity, how decisions get made and whether the experiences of marginalized people are heard and whether their needs are prioritized. There is structural equity. Like, does the, does the agency operate in a way that recognizes that past and current policies, even those outside of transit, are advantaging some groups and disadvantaging others? And like, does it, does it acknowledge that? And does it make decisions in a way that is aimed at changing those structures? And I think finally, another sort of a type of equity or kind of definition that's really important is restorative equity. A lot of the work that fits under this equity umbrella is forward-looking, right? It's like maybe the transit system works poorly for people with disabilities. So now the agency is going to prioritize, you know, improvements for those riders. But agencies actually have to name and then repair the harms of the past too. They have to name the things that they've done wrong. They have to compensate people who were hurt. And they have to ask those people what they want as redress and listen to those. You know, so you define equity and name all of the those aspects. And as an agency leader, I think that starts to give you a real sense of how big the task is. But at the same time, it, it also, I think, starts to show you how transformative it could be for public trust and for the sense of mission inside the agency if you could make progress in all those places. It's not just a daunting thing. It can also be a really exciting thing, both for you know executives and for folks within the agency. How did the pandemic affect transit equity? I think the pandemic really forced a lot of us to come to grips with this term of essential workers, right? Before the pandemic, it was very common to frame the value of transit in terms of ridership. And during the pandemic, ridership, of course, plummeted. And yet it also showed the underlying value of transit because the people who were continuing to rely on transit were healthcare workers, grocery store workers, the, the people who were keeping society running through this enormous crisis. And those were and are predominantly people of color. And so it just underscores 
how essential equity is to transit's mission. And, you know, if we don't prioritize equity in our policies, in our decisions, I think in a very real way, we're failing to learn, you know, the lessons of the pandemic. And we're failing to show, I think, really, we're failing to show sort of proper respect to the most essential workers in society. How can agencies change the mind of those who might resist a conversation focused on equity? It really starts with agency leadership in a lot of ways. You know, internal change efforts can never get that far if the CEO is not willing to stand behind them, you know, because there is going to be resistance. And so from the executive office, not only do you need that sort of rhetorical support, you also have to create a structure where, for example, there might be an equity working group, and that working group has to have a high-level champion in the president's office. It can't be like somewhere in the middle of the agency. You know, there, there have been some historical efforts where equity groups were even, they were even characterized as part of the marketing department, which really, I think, sort of speaks to a much more superficial understanding of equity. So that leadership support is really essential and a structure that reflects that is essential. But beyond leadership, you know, that structure also has to be set up in a way so that staff in many different departments are being engaged and that if there is you know, an internal equity effort that it includes folks like bus operators, customer service agents, planners, marketers, budgeters, you know, every function of the organization. And that helps show people inside that this isn't just the latest management fad or something. It's something that is deeply felt by their peers and steeply felt at different layers of the organization. So you could say that you need leadership from the top, but then you also need leadership from the front line and the middle. And then I think also that honesty about past harms is a really important part of uh, starting the conversation or helping to ease the resistance. Because being vulnerable enough to admit those past wrongs, it can open some doors for folks. Which transit equity policies have impacted your thinking the most? And I know there are many <laughs> hard questions to answer. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I really, I love all the policies that we profile in the report. I think one that I like is King County Metro, which is the bus operating agency in Seattle. They're operating in this context where in the region, there are these significant expansions of light rail service happening. So, so now every time there's a new station opening, King County Metro is going in and trying to redesign the bus service around those stations. As part of their process, they convene what they call a mobility board. It's basically a working group of community members and community groups who provide iterative feedback on what the service change should look like. That's an example of procedural equity. It also has a lot of benefits for the agency as well in the sense that it makes the process of expanding transit a process of expanding community trust at the same time and tries to bake in some of that community buy-in rather than having you know, even when you're expanding service, if you if you take the typical approach of first you design something, then you defend it, it creates an adversarial relationship from the very beginning. And this can create a pretty different dynamic. ProGov 21 focuses specifically on policies that can be enacted at the local level. So what can transit agencies do to make transit more equitable at a local level? You know, there, there are a number of themes that come out of the report. We've already talked a bit about how transit leadership, culture, staff within an agency have to prioritize equity. One of the ways that that should show up is in 
hiring and evaluating staff based on their ability to connect with marginalized people and neighborhoods. So that's, in one sense, it's an HR function, right? But we have to, we have to treat a commitment to equity as a core job function, as hiring criteria, as you know, something that we're going to put in you know, staff's performance evaluation and not as something extra that staff might be volunteering just because of their personal interest. It really is core to really any job within transit. So that's, I think that's one really important theme. Uh, another theme that really came out of a lot of the cases that we conducted here was the importance of agencies engaging with community-based organizations, and in many cases, hiring and paying them to conduct outreach, to collect data, and to inform policymaking. A lot of times in public engagement, you know, we really ask community organizations to do a lot of uncompensated work. And, you know, first of all, you're never going to get the best work if that's how it, it's framed. But second, you know, the, just the value that agencies get from working with community organizations, it's, a, it's at least equivalent in value to what you would get from a consultant. In many cases, it's much more valuable. And so the compensation has to reflect that. And in terms of outreach, you know, outreach has to be representative of riders. That is a simple recommendation that is a lot harder to do than uh, than it sounds. But again, working with community-based organizations is really, I think, one of the one of the more effective ways of doing that. And are agencies just talking about transit equity, or are they putting money towards it? Well, of course, it's going to vary by agency, right? But I think a, a lot of the agencies who we spoke with are putting real money behind it. I think one example where that really comes out is Metro Transit, which is you know St. Paul, Minneapolis in Minnesota. Their Better Bus Stops program was a program, they won a, a federal grant for the first phase of the work, and it was focused on improving the bus stop experience in racially concentrated areas of poverty. One of the really great things that they did was to use 10% of the grant to hire community-based organizations to do outreach. And so they actually were able to get, you know, survey responses that were representative of folks who are riding transit. They were able to get a lot of data, a lot of survey responses from people with disabilities. They changed their standards. They changed the standards they used to decide where to put bus stops. And they changed their capital priorities as a result of going through this process. So not only did the structure put a lot of staff time behind this, but they put real money behind it as well. Another example that we talk about in the report is uh, TriMet in Portland, Oregon. They instituted new measures in sort of their sort of annual performance measures that they use uh, that included an equity lens. And they discovered things like the fact that buses in communities of color were on average older and more polluting. And so they changed that. They started prioritizing clean buses in those areas. It definitely does, in a lot of ways, come down to the budget capital program in the end. And so, you know, not, not everyone is there. That's where you have to build to. It's like, you know, folks often say that a budget is a moral document. That's really where you see the, the values come out in a way that impacts people the most. In your recent equity report, you mentioned Title VI often. Can you explain what Title VI is and why it's important? 
So when we say Title VI, we're talking about Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which bans discrimination in federally funded programs. So it's a really, it's an elegant, powerful promise of equal treatment in public service. However, when it comes to public transportation, the way that the law has been implemented, it's not really able to stop inequitable decisions. And it also does not at all compel pro-equity decisions. So just to get into the, the weeds for just a second here. So as a requirement of Title VI, whenever transit agencies propose a major change in their fares or service, they have to analyze the change and they have to show that it's not going to have a disparate impact on non-white riders. So for example, if an agency is cutting service and it proposes cutting a number of bus lines that pass through neighborhoods that are less white than the service area as a whole, that would probably be considered a disparate impact. And so riders could file a complaint with the Federal Transit Administration. Uh, FTA, in theory, could levy penalties or demand that the agency take remedial action. In practice, agencies do take Title VI very seriously. They work to avoid these findings of disparate impact. However, the kinds of analysis that Title VI requires them to do are pretty simple. And most of the time, they just look at who is living near the transit route. And that's actually pretty different from asking, what does transit allow people to reach? And how does that differ by race? You know, when it, when it comes to transit, the issue is not just, is there a bus stop near my house? But the issue is, can I use that transit to conveniently get to work, to school, the grocery store, my friend's house, the community center? Can I use it to actually get to the places that matter to me? And the Title VI analysis really doesn't answer that question at all. So one big argument that we make in this report, as well as in other projects Transit Center has, has worked on, like a, uh, like a tool that we released last year, the Transit Equity Dashboard, we need agencies to adopt different measures that capture what people can reach. In the academic literature, these are often called access to opportunity or access to destination measures. We think that FTA should require those, but local agencies can start using them now, and some, some are making moves in that direction. And so also the other, another big theme in the paper, and it's really just a basic fact, is that local agencies that are committed to equity are going far, far beyond compliance with Title VI. And often the people who work on Title VI care very deeply about equity and are often leaders in this internal change work because they know better than anyone how limited the federal regulations actually are. So you've mentioned several case studies that are in this report. What is the most impactful case study you've seen on local transit equity? So I want to give a, sh a shout out to a piece of work that is not in the report, but which was conducted by a Transit Center graduate student fellow, uh, Natalie Rivera. It was published on our blog in May 2020. And so, you know, I think we'll include the link to that also. It's also focused on Metro Transit in the Twin Cities, but it takes a really deep look at the structure of the equity and inclusion team. And so it's just a great way to actually see some of the details of how this might work in practice. 
the team has 11 employees and they're from all different functions of the agencies. And there are some great anecdotes within that case study of, you know, for example, bus operators driving through low-income neighborhoods and noticing that the people who live there weren't signing up for the low-income fare program. And that sort of highlighted for the whole agency that there were some issues with how that low-income fare program was being advertised, was being shown to people, and it led to a lot of changes within the process. It gets at some of the, you know, some of these very basic details like, oh, the team meets every two weeks and people who are named as liaisons to this team, you know, they, they get other responsibilities taken off their plate as a way to show that the equity work, you know, it's again, it's not just this volunteer extra, it's something that's core to their job and that it matters. So these sorts of, uh, in some ways they're small details, but it really shows how you do it in practice. And so I just want to, I, I have found that to be really helpful in understanding the kind of nitty gritty details of how you do it within an agency. Great. I'm excited to check that out. So what's the division of power like when it comes to transit equity? What power do local governments have versus state and federal governments? So it will vary a bit by region, but a lot of what we've talked about, you know, internal structure, decision-making, budgets, nearly all of that is going to rest with local agencies. So local agencies have a lot of power here. At the same time, transit's always operating in this broader context, right? It's like we operate transit in cities that are shaped by structural racism and structural discrimination. And a lot of that manifests itself in, you know, non-transit domains. So like transit has to help address mental illness. It has to address people experiencing homelessness. And that's in part because we underfund social services and affordable housing. And so in this really broad sense, these are local, but also state and federal issues. Looking at transit more specifically, I think there's also this context where agencies are operating in a pretty austere funding world. It's not true everywhere. It's not true in, say, Seattle or Austin, where there have been new local taxes to expand transit. But in a lot of regions, there really is not enough local money to provide the service that people need while also maintaining transit assets and also expanding. And, you know, the bipartisan infrastructure law doesn't totally fix that either, by the way. So what that means is that in some of these places, states have this huge ability to dangle their own funding and to sway local agencies. That's often done in ways that do not take equity into account. One example of this is in Denver, where the transit agency there, RTD, and where local leaders have really identified some of the biggest priorities as better bus service in central Denver. But the governor is very focused on uh, suburban rail expansions that you know are only going to carry a few hundred people a day. And as a result, has even threatened to take away state funding from RTD or to write state transportation funding in a way that wouldn't fund you know, the biggest transit agency in the state. So that, I mean, that's a really problematic dynamic. In terms of the federal government, you know, we, we've talked about how the federal government controls the interpretation of Title VI. Uh, they also have discretionary funding programs and they should be using them to reinforce equitable transit decisions, you know, not fall into that pattern that I described can happen at the state level. So my last question for you, how can activists work with local leaders to push these transit equity policies? So in advocacy, there's always a fine balance between working on the outside 
calling for change from the outside, and then, you know, working closely with people within the agencies, the sort of outside-inside game. I think what is really great about agencies developing equity working groups and advancing internal change efforts from an advocacy perspective is that it creates these natural internal allies within the agency. So as an activist or as an advocate, you can point to this report and say that there are lots of real examples, lots of real policies around the country that your agency could adopt, that your agency should be creating and empowering an internal team working on those issues. And then once that happens, you know, you can start to have a lot more quiet conversations with the folks who are on those teams and maybe even strategize a little bit about what's most helpful for folks inside to be doing versus what's most helpful from the outside. So I think I think at a high level, you know, advocates could point to examples in this report and then what you do from there, it's going to vary a lot by region. That was Stephen Higashide, Director of Research at Transit Center. Transit Center works to improve transit in order to make cities more just and environmentally sustainable. Transit Center supports, informs, connects, and funds the civic and public leaders working to make transit better. They are also advocates themselves. Through grant-making, research, technical assistance, and public programs, they provide a practical transportation agenda for cities across the country. Transit Center, thank you so much for your work and for your contributions to the ProGov 21 Policy Library. And as always, thank you to the Free Music Archive for providing our soundtrack. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Ada Inman, and this is the ProGov Podcast. We'll be back next month with a new episode discussing progressive local policy around policing, featuring guests from Campaign Zero. To keep up to date with ProGov 21 in the meantime, you can follow us at ProGov 21 on Twitter, sign up to receive our newsletter, and check out our constantly expanding, fully searchable online library of progressive policy resources at ProGov21.org. <laughs>